The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why is shame such a powerful emotion? How does it affect us mentally, physically, emotionally? I'm Nadia Davis. I'm a mom, author, attorney, and kundalini yoga teacher who has experienced public shaming that brought me to my knees. On this podcast, I'm going to tell you how I'm living the work taking shame out of the shadows. I'll give you real-life advice and skills to take away with you throughout your day. You'll hear from powerful guests who have overcome trauma and emerged stronger than ever. You too can ban the shame within and around you. Join me. You are not alone. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for subscribing to the podcast and for joining me again today. Satnam and welcome home. I'm super honored and excited that Priya Jane is joining me regularly. And I encourage you to listen to the first interview with her because something I always love to do is to see the acknowledge the like little authentic, the, the, the little person in all of us. And it really is, you know, that, that true self, that authentic self. And what struck me in the first interview were these themes of you being a seeker of authenticity and that that's where the curiosity to explore different religions or spiritual practices early on um, came up. And, and the cool thing is when I interviewed Diego, um, my, my oldest son, he brought up curiosity and his recommendation for seeking the truth without, you know, any prompt or like anything. He said that he believed that the first starting place for healing was to dive into that childhood curiosity that we all have. And so I feel like that's just kind of like a basic starting point that all of us can relate to. And when you shared how that curiosity and that um, the questions you asked and how it led to a feeling of awkwardness, um, that that like not only was dragging how shame 
shows up. And we don't need to be all technical and force feelings into quote unquote shame, if that's not a word you would use. But it's more like in observing others' um, feelings and how it could show up is what the point of this is about. And so when you mentioned how like comments from others um, would would end up in being like a what's wrong with you, you know, why can't you just be normal? I think were your words and um, why can't you just follow the traditions, you know, that have been laid before you and, and this is in India, um, you know, which practices are such a core part of, of culture. And so I, I don't know what that experience is like. And I think it's such a profound thing that you tapped into that childhood feeling of awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still, that's you. Today is this like constantly looking or practicing being authenticity and helping others to return to their true authentic self. And it's kind of that middle ground fodder that I wanted to dive a little bit more into um, because I do remember you also said this was at a time when you didn't know what quote unquote God is or what spirituality is and none of those like that there was a time when you started feeling awkward. And so, um, and that is God, like that, that search for authenticity was your soul. And in my opinion, that like innocence, that core innocent self that you've spoken about is and remains what we come from. So from there, when the mind starts coming in and separating us and there's this awkward feeling, you were able to do something with that. And if you, if we could put it in words, we would, if you could put it in a guidebook, this is how I have your <laughs> Jafti Sahib. And this is a beautiful translation um, that I encourage people to look into. Um, but I wanted to start there and let me, let me backtrack a sec because as a mother, like that's, in my opinion, the, the generational progress is if as mothers and as a mother, we're tapped into our own so that you can see those little sparks in your little ones and, and perhaps I mean, there's no perfection, but it's like, try, try your best not to create feelings of awkwardness and most importantly, not create shaming of when there is curiosity in whatever, and especially curiosity in, in seeking one's spirituality or higher power. So, so I am selfishly asking you to dive into how you navigated that then and maybe what could have been even that much more supportive for you separate from your own gorgeous, beautiful will Mm. to seek the truth. So, you know, yesterday um, I was in a store and I was in a line to pay, you know, in front of me, there's kids with their mom and the grandma 
Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful. One was, I think, about, I would say, six years, and one must have been about three. And I just made eye contact with them. And from one then to another with a little smile, no words. And first they were taken aback. Mm-hmm. Why is the stranger looking at me? Then the little one got shy. The older one got curious. So the little one hid behind the mom. Now this this is the beginning of awkwardness, right? But then there's also curiosity equally present. And so he mm-hmm. would pop out from behind his mom, look at me, smile, become shy and hide back again. And he did that a couple of times. And finally, he just stood tall and he just looked at me and I had my dog with me and he was curious about the dog. And so, again, no words exchanged, simply an eye-to-eye communication where ultimately he felt comfortable enough Mm -hmm. to step out of his awkwardness, his shyness, and actually engage. And I thought to myself, what a, a simple phenomena that took place, but it really defines what happens to all of us mm-hmm. in so many ways as we our soul steps into the world into this little body and this little body is now learning how to get comfortable and figuring out where it fits right all of this is happening simultaneously with that dose of curiosity that the that the soul is pouring out in us that i want to explore what is a strange creature it doesn't look like my mom it doesn't is not talking to me, but it is just being. And so for me, it was a similar thing growing up. It's like, here's my family. Here's how my family does things. But I have this curiosity and I want to know why and why not. I also want to know why not. Mm -hmm. What are the reasons? Help me, show me. But... One reason I'm not a big believer in tradition any longer is as beautiful as traditions can be, they can also be very binding for curiosity. Mm -hmm. They can imprison curiosity. So if instead of saying, okay, we don't eat meat because we we belong to this religion called Jainism, if I was allowed the curiosity of saying, but why did this religion get formed? Who formed it? And who decided we can't have meat, but they can have meat? Now, most people don't have the, this kind of capacity to engage their children at such a deep level. I mean, most parents don't. I mean, they're busy running two jobs, running a household. But I would just urge people or listeners to first start to respect and encourage that curiosity in themselves, even as adults, because it's still happening. Mm-hmm. The feeling of oh, awkwardness. Yeah. The feeling of awkwardness is the beginning of shame. Like the very first steps to shame is awkwardness of not fitting in, whether intellectually, mm-hmm. culturally, materially, socially, when we don't feel we fit in into a certain space that is the beginning of shame, right? So I would encourage the listeners to, even as adults, start to engage their curiosity and encourage that. And that naturally then starts to flow into how they engage their children and that curiosity in them. So um, I was also thinking, and 
exploring when that sense of separation happens in us in our own developmental cycle. And that usually happens what I like to call the second coming of the ego. Mm. The first coming of the ego happens around the age of two, where our sense of separateness from our biological parents, like me, mine, no, that's the first coming of the ego. And is that more of a like autonomy thing? It is. Like it is. Because before that, our sense of self is completely merged with our mother and father, mostly our mother. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before the first coming of the ego. Right? Before two, our sense of self is completely merged with our mother. Mm -hmm. We don't perceive ourselves as separate from our mother. Mm -hmm. But as the first stage of the ego development starts to happen, that is our sense of like me becoming my own I-ness. And about the as age separate of two. From my mother, as separate from my father. Okay. Right? Which is a wonderful thing to happen. That's the beginning of me becoming this own self. But it is cute, as cute as it is. It is also insistent. That's why we call it the terrible twos. Mm -hmm. Because children refuse to agree with anything that their parents are saying. But there's another coming of the ego. And it's a good thing because at that point, it's like the, I call it the survivalist mind. It's like this first instinct you know, this survival of the fittest and, um, you know, it, uh, the grin and bear it mode came kind of from that, that original, uh, writing actually. And so it kind of, that, that's the ultimate kind of extreme in, in adult and the, the grin and bear it mode that has gone on for decades. And, but in the beginning, it's this, autonomy seeking and and this little but it it comes from that first baby step of the mind just trying to get trying to yeah get in and get control yeah so as a two-year-old from now after the developmental stages of the ego as well okay so the even the ego has its own developmental stages and that ego can get disrupted at any time in that developmental process due to a trauma, due to uncomfortable situations that the child is not equipped or doesn't have the bandwidth to process or deal with or doesn't have the help to deal with. So all of things can happen Mm -hmm. in life. Again, all perfectly planned, all normal. But this progression of the ego then, again, has another coming of age around when puberty hits, like from 11 all the way to, I would say, 14 that whole range okay. when so the ego two and 14 mm-hmm. it's all kind of autonomy wow. your role in the world your identity even yeah. that young He's figuring yeah. out how to operate in the world through okay. our senses through this body how to function in this world so you will see there are not as many questions um about the, those existential things between mm-hmm. the age of four to like eight they're more about how do things work. Mm-hmm. And I used to, my son used to ask me so many questions, like, <laughs> how is this house stuck to the earth? Like, answer <laughs> that, right? How do you think examples? <laughs> right? So I actually found a book, I think it's to say, how does it do that? Uh-huh. Like, and it had all these little cool little ways of explaining things to the kids. But th- uh-huh. that's how 
the kids are thinking. That's where the curiosity is going. How are the trees, trees not flying off? Like the birds, uh-huh. are, like they're How's the plane up there. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it because it is so free that way of yeah. thinking, but their minds are figuring it out how this earthly sphere works. How does this dimension operate? How do I work in my body? Mm-hmm. Right. How do I learn to sit still? How do I learn to regulate my energy? So all of that is happening. But once that happens, once puberty hits, now there's another wave of curiosity and another wave of separation. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to stop you there for a couple of reasons because I don't want to override the fragility and the the pivotal point you said when there is trauma, but also where you said and we will get to those teenage years <laughs> where you said um you know, if this is flowing, if this is like this natural balance and, and, and setting the autonomy and there's a safety and kind of end of freedom to explore and define oneself in the world, um, you know, that that is our goal. And I, I remembered a quote that Dr. Marissa Franco said when you were talking about your story of being in the store and smiling and that human connection, that brief human connection. And she has said that like the human connection requires us to be vulnerable, but what we feel vulnerable about is what we have learned to feel shame about or in ourselves. So say one of those kids, or I mean, I was, you know, embarrassed of the birthmark or after a certain point, I didn't even care initially about it, but, after some some many things happened that I review in episode one, very generally, uh, there was this um, that separation and awkwardness had turned into a uh, I'm I'm different I'm separated mm-hmm. it was it was more um, pronounced it wasn't an awkwardness anymore because of we all say the word trauma and it was trauma. But we all have trauma because of this memory that instilled in my head. Um, A couple, I was probably five when incidents began happening in a doctor's office. And then in like second grade, when there was pretty, pretty awful racial bullying, where it's like, wash your face. Mm -hmm. You don't need your brownie uniform. You're already a brownie, baba, black sheep. Uh, we don't want you hanging around us anymore. And it was, it was like a visuals. It was the same thing with the doctor's office. And, and it just was this further imprint. You, you are not only awkward or, or should feel awkward, you're separate and um, prove yourself an extreme uh, grin and bear it versus this natural instinct that you explained with the ego Um creating our autonomy, which is good. So at that point, if I just want to point out that the self-compassion and the creating a home within us is going back and seeing those, those incidences and where the awkwardness that is good and the seeking is good and returning to that seeing how the shame prevented you or the fears and judgments, but then returning and tapping into that, that space within you. Yeah. That's the beginning. 
Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Totally. Of healing. Absolutely. If someone well, listening has experienced other things that just snap that awkwardness and yeah. make clear separation. Because I don't think there's anyone who hasn't felt a bit of that awkwardness as a child oh, yeah. because we all, all of our egos feel comfortable only when we fit in and interestingly no one really fits in right because we are so unique and we're all everybody feels vulnerable getting because back to what she has said awesome. right exactly <laughs> And the ego is trying to make us fit in and making us the same as everybody. That's why I was talking about teenage years, because you will see that need to fit in really amplify in the teenage years. Right. And I see it now. That awkwardness now starts to turn into shame. Okay. So even the things that you were registering as a child, the bullying, the racial bullying, those statements, mean statements, they hadn't yet fully registered into shame yet or transferred into shame yet. You didn't have the bandwidth to process them as shame. Maybe you withdrew a little from that. You became quieter in school or like all those are normal reactions. But shame didn't register until the I became a tomboy. I became yeah. a, you know, and then and then save the world. But But I see what you're saying. Yeah, that shame, the idea of shame doesn't really register until the, the teenage years when our need to fit in really kicks in. Okay. And what would be the kind of signs or the, like, where would be a point um, or things that we can do prior to that, both in the teenager in us, as well as with children? Like, like what, like the example you gave of the kid kind of hiding behind and then slowly coming out. I mean, that's clearly a visual representation, mm -hmm. but like with the teenager, there's so much going on. Um, and a friend of mine shared how, you know, her daughter had some bullying at school and there's so much happening, but like what, what would you suggest be kind of the, the way to 
at that point, transform it or words that can be shared, you know, reminders that would be graspable in the work that you do in your individual sessions to someone of that age, let alone ourselves. Um, I recently did the session with a teenager and I, he was just feeling very awkward. He moved to a new school and he didn't fit in. I don't fit in. So he doesn't want to go to school. And so I had him write down what are the things that he knows for sure about himself. Now, like I said, because of the coming, second coming of the ego, naturally the spotlight of our attention moves outwards. We stop seeing ourselves and we start to notice everyone else. Like they have that and they have that going for them. They have that mm. going for them. They have that going for them. And that feeling of awkwardness of not feel fitting in, like I said, just amplifies without really any rational processing. How, how do you establish yourself before you start to see whether you fit in or not? Oh, that's you haven't beautiful. even established yourself yet. You don't even know who you are and what you have to offer yet. So it's or like, our mind is telling us. Yeah. So it's and like, it is true to an extent. Yeah, because the ego creates a fluffed up stuff about ourselves. Right. You know, I can I'm the popular kid, I'm the hip kid, I am the nerd, I am like we have all these labels start to happen in those teenage years. Notice it that's when it happens, middle school, high school, the labels start to come out. Mm-hmm. So now the urge is to fit in one of those labels. Mm-hmm. Or groups. Yeah. Or groups. And if I don't fit in any particular label or group, I'm lost. I'm an outcast. I'm right. A so what did you specifically ask him to I do? Asked, I asked him mm-hmm. to take a pen and paper and tell me five things that you know about yourself for sure. About yourself. <laughs> For sure, like it's a fact. And once he's he listed them, I had them read that at least two more times. And just like that, his entire anxiety had reduced, his perception had changed, his urge to merge mm-hmm. had calmed down, just for at least that time. But that is the beginning. Helping your child understand their own uniqueness first before they try to fit in. Not denying the urge to fit in. Please, parents, do not ever do that because it won't work. Don't deny their urge to fit in because it's it's biological. Right. right. You you Don't shame it. Instead. Right. That is such brilliant advice. And yeah. can you give a little bit of example uh, of like what what they are and what um, your hope is. So it, would it be something like, I am creative, you know, I am yeah. smart, I am, you know, or I love baseball or. Yeah, exactly. Or, okay. or what What do they anchor into? Let's say, for example, I'm creative. Okay. Usually they can't even define that. It, it all starts with, I like to draw. I, I think I like to draw. It's, it, even in that. <laughs> uncertain right Mm -hmm. so it is our job to help them put that into a definition you like to draw do you do you observe things 
that you think other people aren't observing? Yes, I do. Okay. What does that tell you about yourself? Right? So engaging their curiosity, turning the spotlight on them, Mm -hmm. themselves, and just moment that do that, the spotlight turns away from the world. And it's beautiful. It really is their their satnam, like their true self and how, how it's manifested and how they're living. Yeah, but it, most teenagers... It's a literal way to, to help them find yeah. that, their own identity most within. Don't have Even any- though we don't necessarily need to talk that way to them, but yeah. Yeah, but they don't really have that many resources out there that mm-hmm. help them turn the focus on themselves. Like all media programming is turning the focus away from them. Even as parents, we get looped into the idea like, you're not doing well in school. Look at your friend. They're doing so well. So if the attention is constantly going outwards, you start to feel shame naturally. Again, natural part. It's not even a big reason like I've done something wrong, shame. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm shameful because I don't fit in, because I'm not like other kids. Because it's not a given I'm I'm whatever, shining in this sport today, or I'm just imagining my, my boys or, or yeah. The point is you enjoyed it. What do you enjoy? Okay. Not what do you excel in? They've just started on the journey of life. If excelling in something becomes their idea of themselves, then that's a very fickle identity. Right. So working on what they enjoy, where they feel in their element, and having identify it. Is it a, is it a do or a don't to say, I, I see how much you enjoy such and such. Yeah. Do we not be- do that because then we're exerting our own exactly. stuff on them? Just no. Them. Just, just observe. Just be a listening ear. Okay. Give them a voice and become a sounding board to them. I'm not saying do it all the time, but every once in a while, they need that. If you do it all the time, you become a helicopter parent. You know, it's like, that doesn't work. And that has a whole other results. (laughs) Yeah. But they could come up with something like, well, I do enjoy playing video games eight hours a day. No, no, not. We're not encouraging that. It's like, okay, that's what you enjoy. Why do you think you enjoy that? Mm. Now that gets them thinking because they've actually never thought about why they enjoy it. It's not the game itself or mm-hmm. the video gaming. It's it's a it's characteristic or it's a... Figuring a way through an obstacle. Okay. So what does that tell you about you? Are you good at that game? Yes. That means you're very good at problem solving. Hmm. Now that gave them a clue about themselves. I am good at problem solving. And they walk with that. Thinking about the game, it becomes about a part of their personality. I see. They've identified a piece of their personality that they didn't identify before. Now, on the opposite end would be the mind. So they're they're in their their sense of self or in in a characteristic, and you're encouraging it. On the opposite end, what this fills or perhaps prevents, hopefully is how the mind would then they're walking to school and you know their parent whatever happened and they're 
thinking about the game and they didn't get as far or however way that the mind in a multitude of ways would be coming in and separating them from their true self and from the other students that they may be interacting with. And so the more that we have them focus on in their own space on those things about themselves, then the more that they really truly can walk in an autonomy that they're seeking so hard to establish through all the outside. Yeah. And that doesn't mean the very next day they go to school and they see somebody's cool new sneakers or a cool dress that the other one's wearing or how the hair is done or the cool backpack or whatever that is. It's a process. That that insecurity doesn't come in again, but teaching them this over time and then to switch their breath is a great way to bring the spotlight back to them. Otherwise they keep getting like they keep going in a spiral of losing themselves. And that's why most teenagers are so lost. And that's why anxiety amongst teenagers is literally, it's been declared an emergency right by the Surgeon General of this country. Yeah, it's terrible. There is a reason for that because our, the things that can draw our senses outwards are growing at warp speed, but things that bring us back to us are disappearing, which used to be parents, which used to be teachers, right? Which used mm-hmm. to be our coaches. Now everyone's focused on competition. Now everyone's focused on excelling. So there's a constant- in your worth. Yeah, and how can a teenager who don't even know who they are prove their worth? And if they even do prove their worth, even if they excel at academics or excel at a sport, what's the percentage of those children? Very tiny. And even if they do, how long will that excellence last before the burnout? So say there's a teenager who's going through a lot or um, just not ready to hear a parent, a coach, a a therapist, whoever, if they're blessed to go to therapy, but anyone say, sit down and connect with your breath and you'll return to the home within you. (laughs) No, there's no no teenager that wants to hear that. No. So how... How do we best introduce that separate from doing it ourselves? I find it's just beauty, a, that's that's a quandary. The beauty asking of asking the questions about being, the identity and then more and more finding an opportunity. The beauty of being a parent to a teenager, I think, lies in the fact that they will give you numerous opportunities to introduce a very subtle guide. I said subtle because their ego at that time is going to push away anything that comes across as patronizing or teaching moment or anything mm-hmm. like that. But they they drop to their knees so many times in a day mm-hmm. because they They're really... So fun. Yeah. They really don't know how to walk, but they want to believe that they know how to run. (laughs) So 
they will actually give you opportunities. They'll be pushing against you all day long and just in one moment, it's like, I don't want to do this. Or I, I hate this. I hate school. Whatever that, that is your clue that they're reaching a point where they cannot help themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And they will ask for help or need help. So once that outburst is done, that's the time you can introduce just a moment of like, turn the spotlight on you. And what do you see? Who are you? So it doesn't need to be a calm moment. Not at all. Mm -hmm. No, but you're the person who's speaking. Their voice has to be calm. So you become that calm space for them because they can't create it inside of them yet. And we need to be out of our own personalization of what is evolving before us. Yes. And if we personalize and then project, then it's even more magnified in them that they are defective or something's wrong. But when we can be present, I, I can give you a gazillion different examples when there's fight back or a point of just refusal and everything calms when I say, okay, I I see you might be mad. It's okay. Just that. Then it's, yeah, I'm mad that da, 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 da. Now that's in a, in an anger moment, Mm -hmm. but, but when there's struggle, um, in my older one or something, it's, it, it really does take being out of your own personalization and your own work to be able to be present and grasp those moments. Yeah. You have to become the bridge on a roaring river that takes them from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. You simply have to be the bridge that they can walk on. They can use your strength, your peace, your calm Mm -hmm. as that bridge to move them from their anger or their upset to a place of, equanimity of some kind within themselves, even acceptance. So you can transform that anger into sometimes it needs to be tapped into because they can't vocalize what it is they're hurting about or what it is that, you know, a routine that needs to change or, you know, the, the, the wiser, bigger perspective that you can have as an adult. Um, so sometimes it needs to be allowed safely. Yes. And they need to know that that's okay versus it becomes projected. And yeah. I just wrote about this and resentment and is just fed more and more when, when we can't provide that calm and safe place. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can just say, whenever you calm, come talk to me. Exactly. You know, it's, but it has to be said in a voice that is calm but not in a voice or a tone that is shameful. Mm-hmm. Right? So a lot of the work when, when people refer their teenagers to me, I have to remind them, I'm going to work with your teenager, but you have to understand a lot of the work has to be done by you. Right. You can't just give me your teenager and say, fix it. Mm-hmm. Because there are dynamics at play in your home that will have to be looked at, right? So it's 
it's a complex phase of our life, but it's also it can also be very transforming for those of us who have the blessing of having calm mm-hmm. mentors or parents or coaches or te- it just takes one calm person in a teenager's life who they can just keep coming to in the midst of the storm mm-hmm. until they become their own anchor. They yes. don't have the anchor of their own yet. I see that so beautifully happening in the little ones. And it's just been a, a patient process, both within themselves, patients, as well as on the outside. And it's, 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 uh, you know, they used to, when I would say these little mantras or, or sing in the car or other little things, um, or even sometimes now when I do what I just explained, it's like, it's like, mommy, stop talking that way. Stop talking that way. And then they laugh. Whereas before it was like, you know, it was so hard to even hear for them to hear. It's okay. You're mad. Yeah. I see you're mad yeah. uh, because they weren't okay with it themselves yeah. or whatever the emotion might've been. And it took time to get to the point where uh, they're open to their own feelings, you know, in their own, their own space. Um, but, but do you realize what you're doing for them beyond just helping them navigate this moment? Every time you say, it's okay that you're mad, you, you're giving that validation for them to have that emotion until they can process it. But more than that, what you're giving them is a gift of an inner narrative that will stay with them for the rest of their life. So when they're adults, and they're going through an emotion, you will find, or they will find that they are telling themselves, it's okay for me to be bad. Secure and healthy attachment. As a parent, that's what we are providing. We are literally creating the voice Mm. of the inner narrative in their head that will last them the rest of their life. And you can see that. Say more about about Mm -hmm. the guidance, about when you say like, you know, the question of what, what, who are you or what, what do you like? What do you enjoy? Tell me five things about themselves. Even just tell me something about themselves. It's a very strange concept for them because Mm -hmm. they've never really thought about themselves. That's the senses moving outwards. People or children only think of themselves in relationship to the outer environment. Right. Right. So just introducing that idea, you will find they'll they'll become quiet and they'll pause for a very long and then most of them look confused. Like, but there's nothing about me. And that is the beginning of the self inquiries. Yeah. Who am I? What are what are five things I can tell them about me? And most of the time they'll start off saying, well, I'm in fifth grade or I'm in seventh grade. I go to this school. I enjoy soccer. Um, I have good friends. But no, those things are not about you. They're about things outside of you. So you keep bringing them back to them. What about you? What are the five things about you that you can tell me? Now I'm going back to you. Mm-hmm. Did somebody do this for you? And no. in this phase <laughs> of your life, we were talking about like that ego mind and that awkwardness and how you dove into the curiosity and you always knew you were seeking authenticity and truth. And um, at, the, at, at that point, you know, 
what was the characteristic or the thing that kept you, you know, true and searching and where kind of the, the breaking away the, or, or creating your own, your mm-hmm. own way of life and your own identity kind of came in? Like when, when did that explain that process or if there wasn't one, there wasn't one, but have you ever dove into yeah, I've thought about that just looking back and just watching the beautiful journey of mm-hmm. consciousness is I think back then as a teenager, that's when I reconnected with Guru Nanak again. But but as a teenager, like I said, that sense of separation has happened. I'm not a Sikh. I'm a Jain. They're Sikhs. They're Christians. Like that. So they are allowed so to- This is where Priya is talking about how she saw a poster and saw the Sikh um, family, friends, right? Yeah. So that and was when you were I drawn. Okay. Yeah. She was drawn. Guru Nanak is uh, the one who, who wrote, I mean, beautiful. This is just stunningly beautiful. Japji Sahib. And I, I have it created in this. Priya is not only the founder of Seven Chakra Yoga Institute of Spiritual Sciences, but runs many, many Kundalini yoga and other trainings and a master's class in Japji Sahib. And most of all, has a book with her interpretation, very humbly, very beautifully um, written. And thank you. that was the first moment she had, or first time in her life she interacted with Guru Nanak. So yes, get back to that. I had to pinpoint from there to today. <laughs> of course. So my first encounter with Guru Nanak was, I think I must have been five. Okay. Like I said, as a five-year-old, there's no sense of, I am this and they're that. It's like, ooh, what's that? So I saw a picture of Guru Nanak and I was like, that, I, that's the most benevolent face I've ever seen. Just the face. And something in my heart just stirred. Again, didn't have the bandwidth to figure anything out. Mm-hmm. But it, it, my consciousness got locked in that somehow. And then... I revisited again when I was a teenager and we were studying about the Sikh religion at school oh. and a few of his quotes came up and they just popped that whole portal that he had opened when I was five. It just whole thing popped open and I was, I had emotionally somatic response in my body. Mm. And it was something I couldn't explain, but the way I dealt with that sense of separation, like, I can't explore Sikhism. I'm not a Sikh. You know, what is this? Mm-hmm. So I created this whole little world inside of me, a hidden world inside of me that was only for me. Only I was a member, singular member of that club. Mm-hmm. I had the key, only I had the pass. And I could decorate that entire club inside of me with all the beautiful sayings and inspirations that caught my attention and observation. So see, this is such a beautiful way to use the mind. Yeah. Yeah. To individuate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you had that space so within you. had a whole world inside of me that okay. was separate from my persona. You know, my persona mm-hmm. was like, I'm a teenager. And you knew you had both. Things. I had them both. Okay. But this one was not talked to anybody. That was okay. my private world. I wouldn't talk to this world, even to my parents. They were all busy in doing, I mean, they had the expectations of me. And they, they're all spiritual in their own way. Mm-hmm. 
But I thought for some reason that they would not understand this. Did that home within, did that space within you, did it um, over overcome, override then the awkwardness at the time that you had felt before? It, a little, or, or, or was it more starkly contrasted and manageable? In some ways, it was more starkly co- contrasted because now I had these two sides of me, one with social teenager, you know, mm-hmm. and then there was this part that was very spiritual, even when I didn't understand spirituality. See, I had no vocabulary for what I felt. Right. It was just feeling of joy, of inspiration, of connection. Connection. Yeah. I was just going to say. So different than any of the outer connections, but it wasn't that I even had the tools to dive in any deeper. It was just a sanctuary within me. Yeah. It's not a literal thought. You were, you were it, in it. You were it. You, you it was are home within me. And okay. so when things got tough as a teenager, I'm grateful that I had that space because that's where I would go. Okay. I would go sit in that space. And I would cry or whatever I need to do, but I was crying and being within that inner home so the outer home wouldn't get disrupted. That's beautiful. Describe it. And then we will end. Describe mm. it. That inner home. The beginnings, yeah, that place as a teenager. Hmm. You know, I had this... Uh, wallpaper in my room so I I often think of somehow my mind transported that wallpaper into that inner home (laughs) and on that I had quotes everywhere Hmm. from Guru Nanak things that I like I said my brain wasn't really equipped to understand at that point I remember one of those quotes was don't rise with the highs of life and don't fall with the lows of life just just remain steady, stay in the middle, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. Wow. But like I said, now I know what that means. Back then, I didn't even know what that meant. I mean, as a teenager, I was longing for the highs of life and the lows <laughs> of life, you know? So it's it so resonated with you. That constant, that, that neutrality, or that not even neutrality, that stability. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but so that's that also something that- else we could we could tell or advise the teenager or or ourselves or whomever to do what? those boards that we make in treatment um, about all you know our interests. People cut out magazine things. I guess that's kind of it. But with kids and asking them the question that you talked about, or teenagers, you could maybe eventually get to the step of visualizing, you know visualizing it and and decorating your actual room. Yeah. With quotes. And I think that, that resonate. is given to all of us at some point. From all the people I've spoken to over the years, I find each one of them as a child was given a moment of grace mm-hmm. to create an inner home. For some, it just passed them by. Some took them, just took that nugget and started creating it. Um, And we all have that own personal journey in that. But the point is that state of grace is always available to us. That's right. Even as an adult. 
That's in this right. moment, wherever you are, right? That state of grace is available. Take it and create that inner sanctuary where only you, you have the only key to it. In the, the Catholic faith, I mean, Jesus said something so beautiful. He said, when you want to pray, go in your closet, close the doors and pray. He never recommended church because the real prayer really happens in your inner sanctuary. And that's what he meant, your inner closet. That's where prayer happens. A home within you. The home within you. And Beautiful. just you sitting there, index any trauma, any challenge of life, anything that comes at you, you can take that there and you can process it in that inner home. And then you can come out stronger in the outer world. The outer world is not our home. This is a playground, not a home. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we make is we try to make home in the midst of a playground. And then we wonder why yeah. things get keep getting tossed at us and we keep getting smacked in the head. You know, that's not the place to make home. Right. Your home within shines so brightly and beautifully out into the world. And thank you for helping me return to mine. Oh and my I love you so much. I love okay. you too. Thank you so much. To be continued, folks, to be continued. Of a flame that never dies. You are not alone. If you are dealing with shame and trauma, please reach out to me through my website, nadia-davis.com. You can get a free band shame tip sheet and find out about upcoming events. I'd love it if you picked up my book, Home is Within You, wherever books are sold. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to follow me on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sending warm hugs. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.